welcome to our panel on um, standardized testing and accountability. I'm Morgan Smith. I'm a reporter with the Texas Tribune. Um, I know it's, it's after lunch and you guys have already had, um, most of you at least have probably already had a morning of, of panels, but I, hopefully we can um, have a lively discussion up here to make sure you guys stay awake. Um, and um, the subtitle of our panel is, is The Great Debate. And um, as, as most of the people in this room probably already know, this has been a discussion um, about the appropriate role of standardized testing of assessment in accountability is, is one that's been percolating for, for a long time, um, but it has gained momentum in the last year as the state has moved through its transition to um, the new accountability system um, centered around the STAR end-of-course exams. Um, as parents and um, in the general public really began to experience what these changes were in, in the classroom. Um, I'll introduce the folks sitting up here with me in a second, um, but I will say that um, they've all done, they're all people that have done a lot of thinking about this topic, and I know um, some of them have different views and, and won't be uh, shy about expressing them, but I think um, one thing that, that they'll all be able to agree on is, is, is that something is not, is not going right in the way that schools are uh, preparing students for college, preparing them for the workforce. Um, by the state's own standard, and that's just one measure, but um, only one in two students are um, prepared for college in both reading and math. And if, when you break that down to numbers that are based on um, low-income and minority students, it gets even worse. Um, and so when we talk about accountability, that the, the whole notion of accountability is wrapped up in trying to in trying to fix that problem and understand how best we can evaluate what what districts are doing um, to try and um, prepare students for for college, for the workforce, and, and for being productive members of society. So that's something that that we'll tackle up here today. Um, We'll talk for about uh, 45 minutes, and the last 15 minutes we'll reserve for questions from the audience, so be thinking of those. Um, and um, go ahead and put your phones on silent, and as <laughs> that goes for panelists too. <laughs> um, <laughs> and as you probably already know by now, um, the hashtag that we're using is um, TribuneFest. Um, so I'll start with our, our first panelist right here, um, Michael Williams. He is the new um, commissioner of the Texas Education Agency. Um, Governor Perry appointed him at the end of August. Um, he's a former general counsel to the Texas Republican Party to the Republican Party of Texas, um, and he served on the Texas Railroad Commission for more than a decade. Um, before that, he served in the Civil Rights Division of President um, George H.W. Bush's Department of Education, where part of his job was writing guidelines for school districts um, on their obligations for students, um, limited English proficiency students. Um, that a lot of those are still in place today. He is a lawyer by training and began his career as an assistant district attorney in Midland, where he grew up and his parents were public school teachers. Um, next to him is Carolyn Heinrich. She is a professor at the LBJ School of Public Affairs and the director of UT Austin Center for Health and Social Policy. Uh, she's been engaged in education, workforce development, and social policy research for more than 20 years. Um, in doing that, she's worked directly with government at all, all levels, from the federal government on evaluations of workforce development programs to school districts in looking at supplemental education services and other educational interventions. Um, recently, she conducted an extensive study of test-based accountability in education, and she's currently working on a large-scale research program project funded by the U.S. Department of Education and the Institute of Education Sciences on school district schools and districts that are not making adequate yearly progress under the requirements of No Child Left Behind. 
Um, beside her is uh, Tom Pockin. He's a commissioner on the Texas Workforce Commission. Um, as a part of his job, he travels the state talking with business leaders and school district and community college officials about employment in the state. Um, he was appointed to the commission by Rick Perry in 2008 and is a former Texas Republican Party chairman, um, national committeeman, and the author of, of Bringing America Home um, on the U.S. Economy. Um, more recently, he's been an outspoken critic of the state's accountability system, which he said um, is broken and in badly need of fixing and has caused schools to replace real learning with test learning. And next to him, uh, we have Bill Hammond. He is the president and CEO of the Texas Association of Business, um, which represents employers and chambers of commer commerce across the state at the legislature. Um, he has also served four terms in the Texas House of Representatives, and during that time, he sat on the Public Education Committee and um, successfully authored the Texas Education Agency Sunset Bill. Um, at the Texas Association of Business, he's been a fierce advocate for staying the course with the current accountability system, um, saying that its high standards and rigorous assessments are the answer um, to ensuring that the state's students are prepared for college and the workforce. Um, so now that we um, are acquainted up here, um, I'd like to just go ahead and um, open it up. And I think um, my first question is um, going to be for Commissioner Williams. Um, I know that um, I, I think you are just about to have your, your month anniversary of, of being on the job. Is that right? Okay. <laughs> um, but so I think, you know, we're familiar with what the debate is about, about assessment and accountability what some of the criticisms have been of, um, of the accountability system, and we'll get in, in more depth about those um, later on. But I guess I just wanted to start by asking, do you think, is this a worthwhile discussion to be having? Um, are you open to making modifications to the accountability system, um, or is it something that everything's fine and we just need to stay the course? Well, Morgan, I think that there are a couple things to that. Number one, then let's remember how we got here. I mean, the state has been in this, now what's what sort of the third iteration of our student assessment, testing, and district accountability program. And we got there because of a couple things. Number one, we were graduating students uh, that weren't prepared for post-secondary experience. We were graduating students who couldn't read the diploma that they had. And, that's, and, that, and so what we did as a state, we said there are certain standards that we want North didn't understand. We developed a curriculum that was aligned with those standards, and now we're developing, obviously, end of, end of course exams so that those end of course exams are aligned, obviously, with that curriculum. There's no doubt that this is a worthwhile conversation for us to have. And there's no doubt that there's some people out here who are concerned about, I'm sure the professor will tell me, concerned about the number of tests we take concerned about whether there's benchmarking going on in, in school classrooms, concerned about the use of workshops, concerned about the fact that maybe some folks are engaging in teaching youngsters how to better guess for the test. Those kind of perverse incentives. There's some smart folks, to answer the last part of your question, smart folks at TEA who are saying, you know, this is really about the accountability system more than the testing, and maybe we ought to re some of the pressure on school districts. And so maybe rather than, I'm sure there's school officials out here that are saying, you know, today there are 30 different ways that you can fail. There are 30 different tripwires. If I'm in a school and I blow the roof off in 29 areas, but I fail in one, my school is going to be designated unacceptable. So maybe what we ought to do is have, an, have sort of an index to make a determination of the, the performance of our schools. And I expect that the staff will present a notion like that to me sometimes in early November, and I will have an opportunity to make a determination on it. So there's thinking going on right now in the building, a couple of blocks away from here, about how we might make certain adjustments in the way we evaluate schools and districts such that they will be in a position uh, so we can more fairly, if you will, uh, evaluate how, how they're performing. 
So it sounds it sounds like your an your answer is yes. You are open to thinking I about modification. I yeah. just said yes. But <laughs> I thought you wanted to have a discussion. <laughs> just to summarize. <laughs> um, and my next question is um, for, Ms. for Mr. Hammond. I, um, the Texas Association of Business is part of a coalition um, that recently held um, a press conference at the Capitol saying that um, you would uh, vig vigorously oppose um, any additional funding for public education unless um, you could be certain that the current accountability system um, is maintained. Um, I guess... I'm curious, what, is, what does that mean? Does that mean no deviation from what is already in law now? Is there room, is there room for, for any kind of compromise in, 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 white, in, white, in that position? Well, I mean, yeah, there is some room. I mean, I just want to briefly let the people know that, you know, in Texas today, only 65% of ninth graders graduate in four years. Of those, only 25% are career or college ready, which is the core mission of the public school system. Not college, not UT necessarily, but something post-secondary, which is required to get a decent job that you can pay and afford to have a family, which means that only 16% of ninth graders graduate in Texas in four years, career or college ready. Uh, that's not acceptable to this state. Uh, you know, we pointed out that uh, some in a few years, in just a few years, 30% of adult Texans will, will uh, lack a high school diploma. So there are lots of reasons why we need to maintain the system. Now, as far as changes in the system, there are some that need to be made. Yes, I criticized the agency uh, under the previous administration because I think they did a terrible job of rolling out the new testing regime. Uh, they didn't do a fair enough job of making the districts and the teachers aware of exactly what was going to be expected to do. They weren't amenable to uh, guidance, which they should have been doing, uh, which I felt was their job and certainly their prerogative under the statute. And I, I met with a commissioner who and urged him to uh, work with the superintendents and the business community to try to deal with many of what I would refer to as administrative issues of the new uh, testing program. I think a lot of these issues could be resolved before the session, and it would be helpful to everyone involved in the day, debate. Um, you know, as far as some of the other uh, issues are concerned, I mean, like, the, I would urge that we give the test much closer to the end of the school year. And I know that uh, Commissioner Williams is a very smart and brave clean, reverend, et cetera, et cetera, man, and that he's going to meet that goal. He's going to get that test close to the end of the school year, which will resolve a lot of problems. So those kinds of things, absolutely. Um, Commissioner Pockin, um, what kinds of, I mean, are there modifications that can be made to the current system that will fix the issues that you see, or is it something that needs to be thrown out completely and, and built anew? Well, I, I think that uh, both Michael and Bill are essentially saying, let's tinker at the margins, and in a way, uh, we've had this approach uh, for an extensive period of time in Texas. I mean, there was a TOS test, and there was a TOX test, and now there's a STAR test, and each alliteration, uh, we're going to get it fixed this time. And I think the model is fundamentally flawed. Uh, I think kids learn differently. And the idea of pushing everybody to go to a four-year university, which is implicit in the existing system, when you have a $450 million uh, you know, test system uh, for people to be college-ready, when you have four-by-four four restrictive curriculum as though that fits all students, what you're doing, and I see it from the workforce size, uh, you're totally neglecting those young people who are interested in career and technical education. Quite frankly, a lot of them could get a industry certified credential if you didn't have this excessive emphasis on teaching to the test and a curriculum that forces, if you will, many of them, results in many of them ultimately dropping out of school. I've seen examples at places like the Alamo Academy in San Antonio or Craft Training Center. In, 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 in Corpus Christi, kids begin working with their hands or get into career and technical education. Guess what? They do better academically. But this sort of one-size-fits-all approach that everybody's going to be college-ready or everybody should go to a four-year university, which I think is implicit in the current system, uh, ignores the fact that there are multiple pathways to success. And what I've recommended is uh, really uh, alternative approaches have a pathway oriented towards a college degree, college preparatory pathway with emphasis on math and science, one with emphasis on humanities and fine arts, 
and another with a career-oriented pathway where young people uh, have the opportunity to get an industry-certified credential by the time they graduate from, from high school. And there are good-paying jobs out there for people who don't necessarily have a post-secondary education, or they can go on to some of our excellent community colleges and Texas State Technical Colleges for associate degrees uh, and, uh, and, and get a skilled trades. But I think we've neglected the skilled trades and we're paying a heavy price. The average age of a master plumber in the state of Texas is 56. Average age of a welder nationally is 55. Of a stonemasonry craftsman is 69. We've got an aging workforce and we've denigrated and ignore career and technical training and sort of fit everybody and you know everybody's going to be part of the knowledge industry. And we're losing a lot of kids who wind up as dropouts or throwaways because we're not giving young people multiple pathways and we're fo focusing, in my estimation, on an excessive emphasis on teaching to the test and test learning has replaced real learning. And I think it also hurts the college-oriented uh, kids because you're, you're hurting in terms of the uh, loss of critical thinking skills and analytical skills because of this excessive focus on teaching to this sort of end-of-year test and and those of us who are conservatives, we believe in local control. And yes, there needs to be accountability, but I think we've forgotten local control in recent years with the current model that's operative here in Texas. Um, it looks like Mr. Hammond might well. <laughs> um, looks like Mr. Hammond might want to respond. Or well, would Commissioner? Well, okay. Well, this is, okay. Go, go, go ahead, Bill. <laughs> uh, this expensive program costs twenty dollars per year per child. I mean, that's the quality control program. The state of Texas spends 50 or $60 billion, and then we're saying, okay, we want to have $20 a year for testing. I mean, the career and technology education, of which we are strong supporters, of which the leader of the Career and Technical Educa Association of Texas has stated affirmatively that the end-of-course exams and the 4x4 program are not, I quote, not a hindrance to people going on to careers. Bill, you haven't, Car been, you haven't been talking to folks out in the field who are I've vocational technical education. She doesn't speak for everybody in career and technical education. You've got TIVA. You've got, uh, you've got, you, you go talk to the vocational and technical educators who have their kids dragged away from career and technical training because they've got to go prepare for the test. And by the way, career and technical aspects are not on this, uh, this test. I'm well, actually, they're, they're, I'm, I'm going to let... Uh, uh, Professor Heinrich, jump in here, and then okay. Commissioner Williams. Um. I'll wait my turn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I, I think if there's one thing that's very important for us to understand, uh, first of all, I, I think everyone on the panel agrees accountability is impor important. We've moved to a system of outcomes-based accountability, and testing has, for a long time, had a role in education. So I don't think there's anyone saying we shouldn't have high standards, we shouldn't have testing, and there shouldn't be accountability. But I think one thing that has been lost, and now there's an absolute consensus, conservative and liberal thinking, that we have put too much emphasis, too much focus on testing. Um, Mr. Hammond, I saw a video of, of interview of you in which you had said it into the camera, um, the end of course exams will tell us the truth. Well, as someone who's looked at, I have my hands in data every day, I've done research on this, I was part of the National Academy of Sciences panel which looked at the research. The tests are incapable of telling us the truth. They are a sample from a limited number of domains of learning, and that's I think what uh, Commissioner Pocken was pointing out. We sample questions from those domains, and then we sample students' performance on a given day of the year. I was very happy to hear you say we need to move end of course exams back because I've heard teachers talking about how they have to change their teaching because they don't have enough time. They're going to not go deeper because they need to cover material for end-of-course tests. But as a statistician, each of these times we sample, we sample with error. We compile the data. There's error in those data. I see them. I see them for Texas. I see them for other states in my work. And they can be used appropriately for diagnosis. I think that was your point, um, Commissioner, that you know, if you have a number of different indicators, and they're all lighting up and saying there's something wrong, then that's when we bring some stronger tools to address those problems. But test-based tests themselves cannot be wielded like a mallet, and they cannot be the only tool that we apply. And there's the dollar cost of testing, and then there's the opportunity costs. What the kids 
don't learn in the classroom because they're focused on the tests, the decisions the kids make, and there's documented evidence that there's dropout, withdrawal. Um, one of the thing, principles that we learn academics and in medicine is do no harm. We are doing harm. There are kids who are internalizing failure, and as you said, the more tests we have and the more times we tell them you're failing, you retake, you fail, um, though it, that does change people's behavior. And then we don't direct them in other promising ways for their career. So um, again, it's one tool, but it's a limited tool. And we need to treat it like that, respect its limitations, and use it accordingly. Mr. If I could respond in, 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 as it relates to several facts, Tom. You know, it's interesting, in today in Texas schools, there are 16 career and technology clusters. There are 1.3 million high schoolers that we had in, 20, in, in 2011, and of those, one million of them took at least one career and technology course. 660,000 of them were concentrators. They took at least two. You can get a certificate, an industry certified certificate, in 116 different areas. And when you mentioned Alamo, you mentioned Alamo Academy, Alamo Academy in San Antonio is doing what you think is wonderful work within the confine, within the boundaries of the current 4x4. And think about those, 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 those youngsters. Those youngsters, actually 85% of them who took, who took uh, career technology courses graduated in the 4x4. Folks are doing wonderful things out there at schools, with relationships with community college, with industry folks, and oh, by the way, local control. The reason San Antonio creates an academy of that nature, or they do one in McAllen, you use an HVAC and other kinds of activity, because they've looked at what are their needs in their communities, and that school district created career and technology opportunities for youngsters that meet the industry needs. That's responding as you, let me, I'll let you go, but let me finish one more. And the, the other, the, 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 the one more piece, is, it's interesting. We say that we have an aging group of plumbers and welders, and we do. But we got aging engineers. We got aging, you know, uh, software engineers. We got, we, unfortunately, us baby boomers are leaving here, so we got a lot of folks aging. The, what, we, what the state was trying to do here is say fundamentally that there is a core body of knowledge that a youngster needs to have to get a baccalaureate degree, an associate degree, or certificate, and that core is the four by four. And that's, that's the policy decision of this state. It says that we want to prepare a kid to be able to have a choice about whether he wants to go to the flagship institution with the University of Texas A&M, wants to go to a four-year institution, whether Texas State or Sam Houston, some other, whether he wants to go to a two-year college, whether he or she wants to get, get, a, get a certificate or go to the military. And that's, we cannot, we cannot afford to backtrack on that because we, we, we need the energy and the talent from those youngsters. And we're not moving those. Those youngsters are actually getting the Korean technology piece that you would want them to have in the current system. No, they're not, Michael. I mean, that's just not, that's not reality and that's not, the, that's not the truth. I mean, it just isn't the case. You can talk to industry leaders across the state. But are you telling me every student who goes to high school needs to have four math and four science courses as opposed to every student getting a core basic well, Tom, English? Let me, let me finish now, Michael. Yes, sir. Getting a core basic English and a core math a program and then go multiple pathways. This is what's happening is you've got this this four by four restrictive curriculum and so much emphasis on measurements from the top down from state all the way down through the administrators then the teachers that you're going to be judged by how you do on this test that you know there is pressure and it's not just on the career and technical education side a chemistry teacher in San Antonio just wrote from a very prominent high school. Uh, they just had preliminary star test. And afterwards, they now are, he's going to have to spend most of his year uh, preparing the students for the tar star test, and they're going to lose lab activities. And you hear this over and over again. Are all the teachers around the state of Texas wrong in what they're saying? And most of them, I would suggest to you, are saying this system isn't working 
And I don't understand why, I mean, I'll be frank, I, I, I was not the greatest in science. I'm glad I didn't have to take four science uh, uh, courses in high school. But I think that those who want to have a math and science emphasis, that's fine. But those who want to have a humanities and fine arts, let them take a couple of courses like algebra and geometry. And let those who go in career training take a couple of courses in math and then have the opportunity uh, to, to go in the area of their emphasis and go on, go on to college. The example, there are quite a few of those kids that come out of Alamo Academy. Uh, they start working right out of school. And guess what? They start, they, they work with their hands. Many of them get a certificate as an electrician. Then they can go on to be an electrical engineer. But I would argue that it's very difficult to work around the existing system in order to provide for career and technical education and get those industry certificates under the current system. Just talk to the administrators, talk to the voc ed teachers around the state, and overwhelmingly, uh, they tell me, and, and I think they're, uh, they, they, that, that, what, that it's very difficult with the restrictive current system of both the curriculum and the testing system. Morgan, can I respond to one thing? Go ahead. Just, just one. I won't be long. The interesting thing, Tom, when, when we mention about the opportunities that the youngsters have, the 4 by 4 is only 16 of the units that a youngster has to take in order to graduate. They're, they're going to graduate with 26. they got six electives. They can, they can devote towards career and technology courses. They can trade out a math or a science, the fourth year math or science, for a career and technology uh, class. They can take the fine arts requirement for graduation and trade that out for a career and technology course. There are nine opportunities for that nine of the 26, quite frankly, to graduate, for the youngster to be able to devote towards a career in technology experience. If that's not an ample opportunity, I'm not sure what would be, particularly when every school has to have and offer at least three of the clusters. Um, go ahead. Okay, well, I would like to point out that <laughs> half the kids who go to community college today have to take remedial courses. And two-thirds of the jobs of the future and today require some form of post-secondary education. The good jobs that are going to produce enough wages to support a family are going to require kids to go on beyond high school to get certified or to get an associate's degree or beyond. And when we have a system that says half the graduates can't go on without taking remedial courses, which is a totally screwed up system and stands in the way of a lot of people getting a, an associate's degree or a certificate, then the system isn't working. Accountability works. Over a 20, but, over but 20 year Bill, period, just Tom, don't interrupt me. I'm not interrupting you. It, over 20 years, over 20 years, if you look at Hispanics, eighth grade, math, three years of gain. The NAEP is telling us that. Uh, as far as dropouts are concerned, we've had 20 years of accountability. Dropouts are down. Bill, but we've you know? been let's, doing it your way for 15 years. Let's I mean, no, no, we haven't, Tom. No, 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 not, not at all. Um, this is an entirely different system. What we Star did is completely the, different. It's how it's completely different. In the early grades, we had some some sort of a decent system in terms of testing, K through eight. In high school, we primarily relied on one test to test all the subjects for all four years. That is a failed model. Now we've moved to what should be a final exam in high school for the four basic courses in the four years. And so, um, th this Heinrich, is a system that can work and produce the results if we allow it to. The superintendents of this state are suing everybody in this room. They're not suing the state. They're suing, suing you to get more money from your wallet. Is that correct? Everyone knows that. <laughs> 500 districts have asked to be absolved of any responsibility Mr. for Hammond, accountability. Mr. Hammond, I'm afraid we're getting a little resolution. off I mean, track this here. Work. Can, um, let's, yeah, Professor Heinrich, why don't you? So I think, Mr. Hammond, the point that too many kids are coming out and going to community college is not prepared is, is correct. One of the things we've learned from, it, this is coming out very strong and consistent from the research, is that, for example, those kids who would go to community college, get an associate's degree in some kind of technical training, would greatly benefit if we would take that kind of training into high school and integrate that with the basic skills instruction. It's much more effective for them. So, as you were pointing out, but in order, one of the things we've learned in accountability systems across a range of policy areas, workforce development, welfare policy elsewhere, is that what's measured is ends up being what matters. And so what you need to do 
is you need to have a system if you're going to rely on testing which has multiple indicators for the multiple pathways students can take. So have as part of your system not just those EOCs, but an alternative for those kids who are going to take this pathway and are come out better prepared to do the technical More education. Tests. So, and I, I have told you, I'm not against testing. It's how we use it. So the high stakes you attach to it. It was very interesting to me to hear that um, there was a, a question posed to the Texas Education Association about, well, how do the, the EOCs, the, the scores that come out, how do they relate to um, the ACTs and SATs? A very reasonable question, because one of the things we could do is we could rely on the ACTs and SATs for those who are college-bound. Well, the TA responded that they need about three years to evaluate that. If we need about three years to evaluate that, to understand the properties of this test and practice, why are we trying to attach high-stakes consequences to it immediately for those students whose pathways are going to be impacted and their choices in education and the teachers who are trying to determine where they need to focus their efforts in teaching? So, you know, let's be reasonable about it. We're not saying we don't need testing, but we need to avoid the perversions of the system that are, exist, and it's not just here in Texas, it's across the board, and work with that and be open to change and to using them more effectively, diagnostically, so there has to be change yeah, if you're going to be effective have, in the path you're on. final exam that all of us took in high school? I mean, you know, we had final exams and they weren't the end of the world and the system didn't say to the, to the teachers that you have to do benchmark testing, which is completely locally imposed. They didn't say you had to do drill and kill or teach for the test. Teach the damn material and let but, the kids take a final but exam. They're measured by how they do on this STAR test as it right. comes into practice. They're measured before by the TAS test. The whole emphasis is on that test. Why not go to the back well, the to the Iowa test. standardized test for grade school and you can see where? Well, but <laughs> look, sure why what? not just have a test for for high school for algebra one and English three for all of the students? But why require? All of these students, every student, to be tested on four math, four science courses. Because that's the kind of education that they're going to need to get a job which will allow them to be a net contributor to society and go on beyond high school and get a post-secondary degree or certificate just, of some kind. And, and uh, Commissioner Williams, do you, see, do you see a need for this alternative, an alternative pathway, an alternative assessment for students who aren't following this, um, the, the, the traditional four-by-four four, uh, graduation Morgan, that they have. the point have. I tried to yeah. make earlier is that with 26 credits that a student's going to accomplish by the time that they graduate from high school, and with the four-by-four four only taking up 16 of that, there are 10 credits left, there is already an alternative pathway that's created. It's, it's already available with the six electives and being able to trade out the math and science and the fine arts. But I also want to respond to something that that, that Professor mentioned uh, in looking at an alternative test, if you will, uh, just as sort of an announcement, if you will. I expect the staff to present to me within some short period of time, a couple months or so, uh, a way to maybe allow a youngster to move out from, from an EOC because of their grade on the AP exam or the international baccalaureate exam, and, and use maybe perhaps use that as a substitute. That would reduce perhaps some of the pressure, obviously, on, on, on students as well. Can I, thing, I, just real quickly, on some of the 4 by 4 courses are currently taught, taught as applied right. courses, which are CTE courses. So even <clears throat> beyond the nine courses you cited, the four year, fourth year CTE courses can be taught as a Four by well, four and the other thing, I mean, Professor, you, you mentioned about the opportunity for youngsters to be able to get additional, let's say, career and technology experience. Mm -hmm. You know, what we probably ought to do, we have about 64 uh, early, early college high schools across the state. And we ought to be putting some, interest, some energy into blowing that up, not just 64 to 640, so that a youngster in high school has the opportunity to have the college experience and perhaps also be able to develop I mean, get credit for going on. And the possibility to get about 60, 60 collegiate credits while you're in high school. Well, and, and give a youngster that experience. Too, Michael, uh, they're already doing this in some schools. You can get uh, career and technical education mm -hmm. Mount Pleasant, for example, with the community college up there. They can get uh, electrical certification. And also they're getting dual credit with the community college. So I think we need to do 
uh, more of that. But again, well, I think... They're doing that under the current system, aren't they? They're having to work around the current system. But you're needing to, you're also needing to give them opportunity to demonstrate their, their success in those types of skills. And so the problem is if you have students who um, do want to take an alternative pathway and you're telling them, oh, you're, you continue to fail this, you continue to fail that, well, this gives them opportunity to see where there is success in learning, and it's in a pathway they're, they're, they're choosing. And so I, I'm, yeah, go ahead. Professor, I, I would just suggest, though, that even for the youngsters who are taking, I'm sorry, boy, no. CTE courses, you know, it is the policy of this state that one of the things that we want to make sure it happens is there's rigor right. and relevance. Right. And in the rigor, you still going to have to have rigor in the CTE course. Yeah. We're still likely to want to test the exactly. CTE course well, to make sure that youngster learns what we wanted them to Michael, learn. Michael, two, two comments on that. <clears throat> Number one, they're industry-certified credentials. Mm -hmm. But the problem with the existing system, a lot of these students are not able to, to get into these areas until junior or senior year. And quite frankly, a lot of students wind up dropping out by the age of 16 because they don't see the relevance of education. And if you can, start them earlier if they have the interest, give them the opportunity career in technical education, all of a sudden the light bulb goes on, they see the importance of math, they see the importance of basic literacy skills, and quite frankly in our data at the Texas Workforce Commission shows that they do better academically uh, once they see this, but I just think there is too much diversion, if you will, into uh, this uh, preparing, uh, preparing for the test, and it's, it hurts both career student, career and technical students, as well as the academically uh, uh, students who want to go to a four-year university. I mean, I have a daughter who teaches suburban district. She says, "Dad, I'm getting these kids from the third grade till uh, through high school. They've been programmed, if you will." Uh, to their, everything they do is based on how they do on the test. I'm trying to teach them critical learning skills. I'm trying to teach them to be analytical. And guess what? They come up to me after a while and they say, Ms. Pawkin, uh, would you just please help us with the, you know, teach us the, you know, what we have to know for the test. So, um, and I think, I think we've got, I think this is distorted uh, a system, uh, this distorted system hurts both those students who are college-oriented and those students who want to be career-ready. Commissioner, uh, I'm gonna, I would want to ask Commissioner Pockin a quick question, but um, what do you say to somebody who says, okay, maybe that was the issue with, with the old system. That was, we had this issue of teaching to the test because with the talks tests, we, um, they were subject-based, they weren't course-based. We're moving now into this new system where the end-of-the-year assessments are based on the courses that students are actually learning that year in the curriculum that um, the state has set for students to learn. So teachers will not have the same need to do the same type of teaching to the test. If they are teaching the curriculum, then the students should be able to do well in the test. I, I'd like let, let yeah, Dr. Professor Heinrich, because we've yeah. talked about this, yeah. and she has done I, I think, a lot of the research on this issue. I think the problem is, is that regardless of what, how aligned is the curriculum, there will be teaching to the test in the sense of teaching how to answer the questions. Um, there's a lot of uh, effort that gets devoted to that away from, I think the point that was made earlier is that you know, we want students to have a love of learning, not a love of how do I get the right answer to this to this question? And one of the things that has shifted in the use of test score data, which I think is much more productive, is rather, and this has been a, a failure of No Child Left Behind, rather than saying, does a student reach a certain level of proficiency as by our standard on our, on our test with all its flaws and warts, because they exist in every single test that's out there because of the things I mentioned earlier, um, why not say how are students, how are students learning growing over time? There's a, there's a um, methodology out there called value-added modeling, which has plenty of warts itself, but it gets a little closer to understanding. What we care about is students are growing in their learning, that their trajectories are positive. You don't get that in one assessment from one test. You have to look over time. So I'm, again, if you want to have end-of-course exams to look at how students are doing relative to the curriculum, I don't have any problem with that. I do have a, what I'm concerned about is attaching high stakes to that um, test rather than using it diagnostically, rather than using it to try to figure out where are the biggest challenges and accounting for the fact that, for example, 
you know, the, in high school, the kid who gets a text message from his girlfriend two hours before he takes a test saying she's breaking up with him is going to blow that exam, right? And so you have to realize these are, you know, on a different day, he might perform very differently. So let's just back off of those consequences, use that test data, and there are richer ways we can do it. But again, um, as a way to understand how we can improve rather than to say, and, and this is the other problem. The Texas uh, Tribune had a great graphic earlier this year where they showed the labeling of schools from academic, uh, academically unacceptable to excellent or whatever, the exemplary, whatever that final category is. And the percentage of disadvantaged, and this is over five years, the percentage of disadvantaged children in a school is, un, is perfectly negatively correlated with that. So you can perform much better if you have very few academically or economically disadvantaged kids, and it goes the other way on the other spectrum. It's been consistent. So we are also, we, we are not accounting for those kinds of challenges. We are not looking into what schools need to improve rather than just measuring them. And as you, as you call more and more schools unacceptable, then more and more kids and economically advantaged kids leave those schools. It, it, it's, it perpetuates. So I think those, again, just keep it in mind that those are the risks we take when we wield these tests so with such high Remember what I said at the top of this conversation, that I expect that, the, that staff at TEA is going mm -hmm. to present to me a new way for us to make the determination on accountability of school districts. And I expect that it will have some features that relate to, to growth, mm -hmm. that relate to the performance of youngsters that are black, Hispanic, and economically disadvantaged, that may have different weights for that. So I, I expect to see that. So we're really talking about a system, perhaps that we may have, to, that some may have some troubles with today, that may not be the system that we have going forward. And so, and it seems to me, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting more advice than, than anybody should at this point in time in their life, but and I had a conversation with a former commissioner who said that it's really not the test that people are concerned about, it's the accountability system, because what is happening, superintendents are driving downward that kind of pressure. Yeah, and but, if, but why are they doing well, that? Because the pressure is from the state. Because there are consequences. On them. There's no doubt. And Michael, well, we want there to be consequences. Okay. I mean, Tom, we taxpayers want to know that they're getting banged for the buck. And my, oh, hold up okay. now. Moms and dads want to know how their kids are performing against the Chinese and the Indians. And the kid in that classroom wants to know how he or she's con competing compared to somebody else. But there are consequences. But, but, here, but we can release some of that pressure. It all becomes an abstract intellectual numbers game, Michael. No. Give you an, let me, let me, let me, let me comment, Michael, wrong, wrong if I may. Oh, hold up. Well, let me Look comment, Michael. Let me, finish my, let me finish okay, my thought. Uh, as, as one teacher said, I think very cogently, she said, guess what happens? With all this pressure, and you acknowledge it, from the state to the superintendents down to the teachers, you know, they're focused, uh, they're measured by how people do on this test, you know, TAS and now STAR. She says, guess what? Uh, the kids that we know are going to pass, they tend to get ignored. The kids who are not going to pass, they tend to get ignored. And the focus is all on the kids who are on that's the bubble. This is kind of a dumb... But that's what happens. Would say, You've got this quantitative say, measurement system in place that saying. needs to be changed. So, what I'm, um, I'm going to let Commissioner Williams yeah. respond, and then I think we'll open it up for questions. <laughs> so everyone gets but, but, but lined it, it, up. Here's what I'm saying. We have that, Professor would say, as you, as you wrote in, in a commentary, that's a perverse response by either that classroom teacher or that, or that campus to, 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 to this, this endeavor. But let's not say that there's, there's no benefit from that. If you look on the NAEP exam, as Bill mentioned earlier, and you look at what has happened with black and Hispanic fourth graders, we are now outperforming black and Hispanic fourth and eighth graders on math and reading across the country. We're fourth in, in, with, with black kids, uh, I think sixth with Hispanic kids. You can't tell me that, there's, that there's, no, there's no benefit from it. And we don't want to go back to a circumstance where you had in a large urban school district in this state, where as late as 1990, we weren't even testing black kids. We didn't care about how they were performing. We can't go back to a circumstance when you've got a state that 60% of this state, of our student body is economically disadvantaged, and where 63% of it is black or brown. We cannot go back to a circumstance where we are, don't care about where those youngsters are performing. Well, that's, that's what we're advocating. I let uh, Mr. Hammond jump in if okay. you can make it. You know, I, I think that if you read the resolution that 500 school districts in this state have passed, 
It says we need to go to multiple measures, which is what you all are talking about of some sort, which I guess means more testing. I don't even understand how that's going to work, because they're already complaining about too much testing, but they want more. They're also talking about sampling. Sampling is a uh, prescription for going back to the bad old days, like Commissioner Williams just talked about, when we, didn't, when we did not disaggregate the data. Because what's going to happen under sampling is they're going to pick out the best kids of each category, and those are going to be the ones that are going to get tested, and the kids who need it the most are going to get left behind. Let me, don't interrupt me. I, I don't want you to interrupt me. Those are kids who need it the most, the blacks and Hispanics of this state who are being failed by the current system, are going yeah. to be ignored and, and just like we did 20 years ago. We're running the current system, and guess who drops out? The Hispanic and African American kids because they don't okay. see the relevance, well, and they're dropping out of high school. On the, on the SAT exam, we just here. saw we just saw an increase in the okay, last actually, four years. I'm going I'm to let Professor Heinrich respond. Then <laughs> we're going to take a question, and then maybe we can okay. get so to one, your one your last point, uh, Mr. Hammond. Is that's not sampling to pick kids. Sampling is you do random sampling, so everybody yeah, I, has I an equal now, chance now, listen, of being tested. People manipulate the sampling. Okay, so let's just, so, I, and I wanted to say to, to Commissioner Williams, um, if you do, like, if you have your staff working on those things, and you spend the appropriate amount of time, and then come out, and, and before you, you then take the system and right away attach a lot of high stakes to it, let us see what we learn from that. And, and I'm not saying, because we have learned a lot. Now, we can't attribute the gains to accountability per se. There's no, no study out there that causally attributes having accountability to gains. But the fact, like you said, the fact that we are including all kids, we care about all kids, we have information to help all children. Let's just use that. Right, and, I, and that's, why, that's why but we're all for accountability. Accountability doesn't count for the increase. That's why we're for Hispanic? accountability. But, okay, so anyway, question. Yes, hi, I'm a teacher and I have a comment. I'm a ninth grade high school English teacher, and I actually had the, um, I, I think I spoke to this panel earlier, or this crowd. Um, I opened, helped open a school in Bastrop, Texas, where the fires were. Um, our first year, we had only ninth and tenth grade students, so we were under the tax system for those kids, and we became um, unacceptable was our rating because we didn't have seniors to bring up the scores. As you know, only seniors need to pass to graduate. So I have no problem with an EOC every year. I do have a problem with the fact that we call it an EOC, and it happens in March. <laughs> My second problem is... I actually had the opportunity to orally administer that exam uh, for English. So we have this thing called Bloom's Taxonomy, and I actually pulled it up so I would remember, where we start teaching levels of understanding. Uh, it starts with remembering, goes up to understanding, applying, analyzing, evaluating, and creating. Our issue with the end, of course, at least in English, is that the question stems are cognitively beyond what a four-hour test can actually measure and has very little to do with the TEKS, the Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills, which those two words infer we're talking about the lower three, maybe lower four parts of Bloom's. And so this test is asking our students, it's testing them on cognition. And the problem is that is that, with that is this. I've got, um, my, my, my school is a Title I. SES, as you mentioned, ma'am, is a really huge issue. We know there are correlating factors between the ability for cognition at certain ages of development and their SES. And so I'm, to, I'm being I'm held liable. To appreciate your comp but do you so have sorry, comments? here's my yeah. question. You got a better line. Here, here's my question. Why are teachers not involved in determining the TEKS, in determining the test, in making sure that it makes sense, that it tests what it's supposed to test, and why are we being held liable for things that have nothing to do with us? State Board of Education. The short answer to your question is they are. State Board of Education obviously in developing the, the TEKS and the standards, they obviously involved, involved teachers and us in looking at the, in developing the test do the same thing. My question is, um, we have, uh, there's not a college in this state that requires a fourth year math or fourth year science for, uh, for their admission. Rice, SMU, Tech, Texas, A&M, none of them. So why are we going to ask every single student to have four maths and four science? The second question is, why do we have a $500 million testing system 
uh, when the next state, New York, has 38 million? I think I would imagine both of those are directed at me. The first one, as it relates to the uh, to the four by four and the four years of math and science, that is a determination that's been made by the 181. The legislature said that there's a core body of knowledge that we want youngsters to be able to obtain in order to be post-secondary ready. Uh, so they can go to a four-year institution, so they can go get an associate's degree, so they can go to the military, go to the workforce. And that's it. That is a policy decision that is made by the, by the 181. I, and I would hope the legislature in the next session will change that. Kent. Commissioner Williams, welcome to the Briar Patch. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a two-part question for you relating to educational technology and accountability. Number one, Commissioner, when you're looking at uh, changes in the system, think about the fact that we can talk to Tokyo or Hong Kong in real time today, or we can email them. But we have teachers that have to wait weeks after the end of the school year before they get their data back for the test. The second part of my question relates to the issue of why do we view accountability and curriculum delivery as two separate issues? And let me explain what I mean by that. When you go to Walmart, they scan the item that you just bought. That immediately goes onto the backlog, so they know that that item needs to be replaced. They don't do it on an annual basis, but in education, we evaluate kids once a year. Why, do, why don't we use to the technology that's available today to evaluate kids on a daily or a weekly basis and get that data back to the teachers to make intelligent educational decisions? Kent, you don't realize that you may have just offered me a softball question. In order to, before becoming the commissioner, I guess two days before I became commissioner of education, I had to sell my interest in a small um, technology-based educational company. And one of the things that we're very, very proud that we're able to do is to be able to provide um, learning instruction to a youngster. And where the teacher, somebody mentioned by being able to diagnose, uh, where the teacher can get an understanding and appreciation of what that youngster is learning at that given time. Uh, where you can actually give a test, and you actually give the test and you can be able to get the results very, very quickly. Uh, one of the interests, nobody's asked, because that, that isn't the nature of this forum, about one of the interests that I have as, as being commissioner, is being able to move us in that direction. So I appreciate you for asking me that. I wish I didn't have to sell my stock, though. Um, but teachers, I mean, I have two kids in public schools here in Austin, and uh, my kids do get evaluated every week. They take quizzes, they take tests, they have all kinds of assessment, and I actually get to see pretty quickly online exactly how they're doing. If they slip on a test, I get an automatic notification. Why do we need complete state and federal control of what kind of assessment's happening? Teachers do assess their students. I'm a teacher myself. I pay attention to exactly where my students are in the classroom, who's struggling. I know who's struggling. I don't need someone to come and externally evaluate me and do that. We don't need to invest in that kind of excessive amount of technology and testing. We gotta, you know, have some faith in the people we've got there in the classroom, spending that time every single day with our students. Professor, I would agree with Amen. you. I would agree with you, Professor. We don't need, Professor. I would agree with you. We don't need the federal control, and that was in large part the, the basis and the intent of, of my notice to to the national government, U.S. Department of Education, for our intent to to, to seek a, a general waiver. So I would I would agree. I would agree. If I may comment, the architects of this system in Texas. Uh, are are very very much the architects of the national system, which we're not happy with uh, today in Texas. So that tells you something. It isn't working nationally, and it hasn't worked in Texas, in my estimation. Next question. I've been teaching at Texas State University for 30 years, and I have seen in the last 10 years uh, the students declining in their ability to think critically and to take initiative. And much of it comes from the high-stakes testing uh, drilling that occurs in the schools and that teachers are doing in response to the pressure placed on them to take a series of tests that keep changing. Changing tests means that you don't have any longitudinal measure. So every time they institute a new set of tests, you can't compare those results to anything else. The fact that we only have tests made in Texas means that we can't 
compare ourselves to any nationally normed average because we're the only ones who take those tests. The obvious problem is that there is a profit motive in having these tests developed in Texas, and I don't think that they're, they're good uh, measures for what they're actually measuring. We do need multiple measures, and I applaud Professor Heinrich and uh, Commissioner Pawkin for their bravery in asserting that we need to eliminate the emphasis on high-stakes testing. My question is, how can you say that the curriculum and the standards were developed by English teachers when, in fact, the State Board of Education threw out the work of English uh, people who had developed the curriculum and hastily substituted their own set of so-called experts and are using such outdated methods as uh, phonics system, rote memorization, and these are things that no one in language arts would uh, consider contemporary. They're 50 years old. I think you're taking the issue with the choices that they made, not, not the inclusion of teachers in the decision-making process. I think the SBOE member that's here would tell you that teachers were indeed included, they, but they, the, obviously SBOE made different choices than maybe the choices that you would wish for them to have made. We also have to recognize something else. No matter what standard, whatever test we use, if we use ACT, we use SAT, we use our end-of-course exams, they're all basically telling us, unfortunately, some of the same things on those national tests that you're talking about. Unfortunately, in the high school level, we're not performing as well as we want to. And if you go back, and you mentioned about longitudinal information, if you go back and look at longitudinal information, we have probably had to provide remediation to our youngsters, not just since the beginning of this academy system, but we've been doing it for a long period of time. And, and we will continue doing so until we get to the point where our youngsters are prepared in math and science, language arts English, and in reading, in, 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 in order to be able to move forward, social studies, in order to be moved forward to, to a post-secondary experience. Professor Heinrich. I think an uh, important point you made there, um, one of the things we're hearing from employers is that this, uh, students don't come out prepared for enough higher order thinking, problem solving, creative types of, of skills. There was a professor at the University of California, Berkeley, who compared tests, standardized tests like that are being used in the state of California with another test designed to test that kind of more higher order problem solving type thinking and found that basically if you would classify students according to certain levels of performance on two different types of tests, the typical standardized tests and these higher things, basically about 50% of the students' classifications would change on the higher order. So it's, it's a different type of thinking. And I've seen the same thing you mentioned. When I do review session now before an exam, the kind of questions I used to get, you know, I've been teaching for 20 years, were, can we work through this problem? Can we, can we do this? Now it's can you tell me specifically what form the test questions are going to be in? Can you tell me exactly what parts of these materials are going to be tested? We've now trained students to think this is not about your love of learning how to do this, about how you're advancing your thinking, but how you're going to make the grade on a test. Okay, um, I'm going to try and get to both of the questioners um, that are behind you, so I'll just... Uh, <laughs> and two quick things. One is okay. national standard. I mean... National comparison, you have the NAEP. I mean, that gives you a national comparison if you want to look how we're doing relative to other states. And if you want to look at how what the old accountability said, said about um, uh, some sort of standard of performance compared to what the NAEP says, I mean, there was this giant gap. The state of Texas was saying 80% of the kids were proficient. NAEP said 30%. So you can take a look at that exam. The reason, one of the reasons we switched is with the old tax, there was no headroom. Everybody was passing the damn thing, and it was way too low in its standard anyway. Hi, I'm a parent of a 10th grader, and I am concerned with the number of tests that are being administered, as well as the high stakes that are being put on those tests. I've heard both Commissioner Williams and Mr. Hammond refer to the NAEP. My understanding is that the NAEP does uh, do random sampling and does not test every student every year on every subject matter. So if we are going to rely on NAEP to have national comparisons, why don't we do that at the state level? We in yeah. the state... We in this state, through the 181, through the members of the legislature, have made a, what I think is a profound and a significant and important policy 
determination that we want to know the performance of every youngster in this state. We do not want to take the position that some youngsters, maybe because of race, maybe because of SES, that we're not going to try to make a determination of how well that youngster is doing. So we have made what I think is a significant, or the 181 has made a significant positive determination. We want to know how every one of those nearly 5 million kids are doing. On that would be as parents and teachers, we know. Yeah, and I, maybe you know. Uh, Not <laughs> if you don't test them. You know, I, I, again, I'm dating myself, but you know, we had the <laughs> Iowa standardized test in grade school. We had PSAT, SAT, ACT for those interested in going on to college in high school, and it seemed to work just fine. And, I mean, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, I, I see a front page of a Corpus Christi newspaper not that long ago where they were having a rally. It was cheerleaders and everything because the third graders were going to be taking the test for the first time, and they had to be prepared for the test. I mean, to me, this is absurd. And it is a substitution let's just, let's of test learning and real learning. <laughs> let's just have our last question, and then we can, okay. if and, people and want to make a final point, they can. and PSAT, we ignored the performance of blacks and Hispanics. We cannot go back yeah, to those what, days. What are we? Okay. <laughs> we did. Hi, my name is Rachel Hilchey, and I'm a fifth grade math teacher. Um, my question is that uh, assessment and accountability are really two different things. They can be, we can use the same measurement many times, but my fear is that when I look in the eyes of 10-year-old children and they burst into the tears in the middle of the star test and tell me, I can't do this, I don't feel like it's appropriate for 10-year-old children to have that one test for the whole thing. So would you ever consider using the STAR test in the same form we have it now to hold schools and teachers accountable, but not necessarily to put that same pressure on individual children and to let teachers assess children to see whether they're ready and prepared to move to the next grade level? You know, you're going to have a little later, even in the old days of standardized tests, a little later today, Rusty Harden's going to be speaking. Who's a, uh, Rusty and I were in law school together, and I, he was a little behind me at SMU. I, I left the Nixon administration back in law school, and Rusty was a great student. I, I just read the other day in the New York Times, he applied for like 56, 56 law schools, how he got to SMU. Only two accepted him because he didn't do well on standardized tests, even in the old days. I had a friend who was a very good student. If you look at his academic performance all through high school, but for whatever reason on this one test, in that case the SAT, he didn't do well. Now fortunately, and he wound up going to Notre Dame and doing well and getting a law degree and being very successful, but, I mean, this whole idea of one test, one day, and kids being measured, and, and, and as you described from the third grade on, I think it has had a deleterious impact, and it isn't working, and so why not just go back and start all over again and come up with well, a common-sense approach? Did he have to pass the bar exam? Yeah, he did. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, so he did have sure. to pass the bar exam, so... In order to get his law license, he had to pass the bar. I mean, should we have multiple pathways no, to become did, a lawyer? No, he had and a low. And if we have like a good do, feeling about he, someone, you know, guess what? He didn't do seven hundred on his um, LSATs. Okay. I think okay. we're going to wrap. I just, Commissioner Williams, do you? <laughs> as entertaining as that is, <laughs> um, Commissioner, it, it, is that something that you would consider holding holding school districts and accountable, and then letting uh, teachers assess students? Well, as to whether or not they should That's a policy forward. determination that's beyond my pay grade. That's a policy determination that, that's, that, that's, that's made by the 181. You know, as I've said, as I've said, as, as I've sat here this last hour, I quite frankly think that the current system, the way it's structured, is structured quite, quite nicely. There's some things that, I, that are within my control in terms of how we go about the business of developing the accountability system, perhaps developing uh, the, the index, perhaps changing the labeling, maybe having, so they do in Florida, maybe five different grades, perhaps using the AP exam and the, the IB exam and maybe the SAT and ACT exams as ways for youngsters to get out of or to, to find an alternative to, um, to the EOC exams. The, the things that, 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 that I can do in, in that fashion. But whether we change the structure, as was intimated in the question, that's a determination that's going to be made a couple blocks away. Okay. And I, I would just say, let's keep in mind that, you know, 
when colleges, um, for example, get the ACT or SAT scores for students, that doesn't determine, that isn't the only thing that determines where the kids get in. They look at their essays, look at their experiences, they look at their motivation, and thank goodness, okay? Because, and I think this is what teachers are saying. There's a lot to a child, and it's not all reflected on that test in a given day. And let's not hurt the child by using that to, to really attach, to potentially limit that child, send them back. And, and, and so let's just, again, we're not against accountability. And, and we're not even saying, let's make this low stakes. We're just saying, for the, the kids, let's realize that there's a whole other set of important dimensions that we look at to determine whether they are going to be successful, whether they have, uh, they're on a pathway, and whether we can help them be on a better pathway. And one size doesn't fit all. Okay, well, we're going to... We don't have a system where one size is being imposed. As, as I keep saying, there are 10 different glasses. I mean, the 4x4 four four allows for, for creativity and allows for students to take a lot of I think we glasses. might have to, to we'll schedule another panel to keep talking about all of stay, this. Stay, stay. We'll keep going. Um, thank you. Thank you to all thank my you. panelists. That you guys were great. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.